If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour And with the sweet sounds of Barrett Johnson singing us into another episode Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour and I'm your host, one of three. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I'm the author of Jesus Untangled and uh, the coming up very soon, July 4th, my brand new book, Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. From yes. yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's, I, I got to get used to that, I guess. And uh, anyway, I'm joined by, joined by my good friends and co-host uh, Jamal and Matt. Say hi, guys. Hi, friends. My name's Jamal, and I am uh, author of Free to Love, published by Choir in 2016, and working on another book that I'm not able to tell you about right now. <laughs> but it's, it's it's true, and and uh, and it's just a pleasure to be back on um, the the Heretic Happy Hour. We we all know it's a it's a book about Mary Magdalene. You don't have to say it. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that's what you would assume yeah that's right yeah. that's right and of course i'm i'm matt the the third member of this uh this party trinity. here and trinity <laughs> this yeah, trinitarian trinity. podcast yeah and uh the author of heretic which came out april 1st of this year and i'm writing a bunch of other books that i'm gonna be uh talking about maybe in the future sometime but i don't want to take keith's thunder so uh let's let's get right into this by of course having a word from our sponsor and as always, it is the Unfundamentalist Group Blog, who is focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor and are dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com backslash, just kidding, no, forward, no. forward slash unfundamentalist. <laughs> oh. I got the trombone forward slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Yes. And, um, and that's unfundamental unfundamentalist with an S at the end. Of course. Um, I, 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 if it's okay, I would like to make an announcement. Would that be okay? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Please I think do. so. I think yeah. we have time. Yeah. Yeah. We would, we just want, you know, as a service to our listeners, we thought it'd be a good idea to, uh, to announce that, well, we are starting a, um, a hotline for the listeners finally yeah yes. no extra charge no extra charge it's totally free and totally the purpose free. of the hotline just in case you're wondering is so that if you listen to this podcast and you have a comment a concern a question anything really or just something that you would like to share you can call that number there's an actual phone number you can dial and you can call the number in and um you can if nobody picks up if it's after hours you can leave a <laughs> voicemail and 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 we'll get that. And if it's if it's yeah. good, if we think it's good, then we'll put it on the air. And uh, but not only can you leave a voicemail, you can actually send a text in um, as well. So we're coming a long way in technology. And uh, let me give you the number in case you don't have it already. It's a two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. Let me say that again. It's two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. You don't have to dial one either. And um, it's two four zero three heresy if you have a rotary device, <laughs> which most people do. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, yeah. so yeah. we have a text that has come in. So, can we queue up that text? Thank you. Awesome. 
Okay, could you fax that in to me real quick? Okay, <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, here's agent. the text. Yeah. <laughs> Quote from a listener. Love your podcast. It's been so important for me. Would you guys talk about how deconstruction of one's faith can can feed a depression oftentimes in ways for the introvert like me um, to stay encouraged at a time when you feel often so alone? That's a great, that is a great, actual, really good comment and very important one. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think it, I think it's a wonderful um, question and it comes up a lot when you talk about deconstruction and how going through the process of questioning your world beliefs and getting into these existential crises um, can feel so alone and it can make you feel on an island. And yeah, how does how does one because I have depression, too, and I'm also an introvert. I have those same kind of questions. Um, I, I wish I wish there was a book out there that discussed these sort of things and. I would love to read a book like that. Well, you know, you guys have any recommendations? Yeah, you know, uh, well, I heard a rumor that our good friend and uh, good friend of the podcast and good friend of uh, the three of us, Michelle Collins, uh, is actually in the process. Michelle yeah, Collins. Michelle Collins, woo, is in the process right now of uh, writing a book uh, that's basically, she says, the emotional. It's about the emotional and psychological effects of the deconstruction process and and how it applies to the grief cycle. Um, and so, yeah, I think. That's it. It's obviously very, very much uh, needed. And I think it's a very common thing, like you said, Matt, like when you first go through deconstruction, there's a level that's exciting because you feel like you're learning something new and you're, you're kind of, um, you know, getting rid of old things, pulling out old cobwebs and, and uh, realizing things that are maybe more true than you realize. But at the same time, it can feel pretty lonely. If, and especially yeah. if you, people in your family and, and your friends and other Christians at your church, for example, uh, not only don't agree with you or not on the same page with you, but then start to kind of turn on you. And um, right. man, then that's the worst. So you not only do you feel alone, you feel extremely unloved and unsupported. Uh, and it sucks. So we've all gone through it. I think we can all relate to it. Um, well, I, I'm honestly, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm not, I'm not trying to be facetious or anything like, but I, but honestly, I think that's part of what the podcast is all about is, is to sort of give a place and even in the Facebook group as well. Like, so that right. there is a place where you can at least get with people who, who at least understand what it feels like and provide some kind of community and some kind of connection. Uh, and, and that the podcast right. is some sort of a voice for, for people who feel that way. Um, so that's just one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I think it's an important question. I, something that can be helpful and that's something that I have found to be helpful is, um, I know when it comes to depression, they've done these studies and, you know, without getting to the, the, the total thought process, people with depression tend to have a very similar um, pattern of thought. And one of the things that um, contributes to depression is when you're focused on things you feel like you have no control or knowledge over. Like, so if you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know this or I have no power over this, it can make you feel very unempowered, which leads to depression. So they've actually done studies that when you're thinking shifts from what you have no control over or what you don't know to the things you do have control over or what you do know, it actually helps you lead, leads you out of depression. So I would, to, to somebody who's struggling with depression, the reason you're feeling depressed because of deconstruction is because you're focused on what you don't know. And you're realizing, my gosh, there are so many things I don't know. But I would, I would challenge you to say, okay, you may, okay, you're realizing there's a lot you don't know, but there are things you do know. And I'm not talking about doctrinal things. 
or, you know, to be certain and dogmatic, you know, in, in a religious way. But all, the only things we truly know are the things that we experience. So I would encourage you to come back to the things you know, the things you experience in your body, the things you experience in your relationships with love, all those things. That's going to really help you as you deconstruct. So it's not all about what you don't know. There are things you, you do know and can know, and those are usually the things of experience. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, so um, so that's that's a great comment from uh, from a listener. So thank you for that. And um, yeah, very important. And uh, we do have a voicemail as well. So can we cue that up? <laughs> oh my gosh! I just heard that you guys were doing the board game, and you're starting, <laughs> and you're starting in hell, and they're getting out of it. I absolutely love it. That is hilarious. Uh, thank you guys. I'm going to Patreon now. <laughs> I've got to support this. This is awesome. I can't wait to see it. It's this is John, by the way. Thanks. Oh wow, that is that's hilarious. <laughs> that's, can I just say this? Okay, first of all, we do have a board game coming up, which is awesome. But I, I gotta, I gotta just. I feel like we need to warn our listeners about the board game. If that's okay, um, sure. Especially our okay. international listeners. If you uh, live in Africa. If you're listening to this in Africa, I, I'm, I just wonder if the game is okay for them to play. I just wonder that because the reason I'm saying that is because I there's just a lot of cheetahs in Africa, and you, you got to be careful about the games in Africa. You know, there's... Oh, Woo! good God! Oh Lord! Well, oh, uh, I'm just saying, just saying. That just kills that the just, whole podcast. That just oh, killed it, right? I think let's just stop right now. Um, no, uh, so yeah, by the way, John, Jonathan, thank you. And by the way, he's not kidding. He hung up and a few minutes later, he actually did go on the, the Patreon page and he did make a pledge. So uh, thank you, Jonathan, for your support. And we do, yes, by the way, perfect transition here. We have a Patreon page and um, we hit our first goal, which is why now we're doing this uh, Heretic Happy Hour board game. It's the Heretic's Journey, the Slippery Slope. Uh, it's so fun, guys. It's so we've had such a blast coming up with the questions. Uh, it's gonna, it is awesome. I, I really can't wait, and we're we're finalizing it right now. So, by the way, thank you to all of uh, all of our supporters uh, who who contributed and who continue to yes. contribute. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we have a couple of brand new people since our last podcast who have uh, signed up to support, and so I want to give a special thanks to Jeremy Lowen. Is that Lowen? Jeremy Lowen. Um, Father, is that Father? David Jones? I can't read all of a sudden. Isaac Hudson, Joshua Pose, <laughs> Dan Hassett, Frank Martinez, Jonathan Renner. Thank you, Jonathan. That's the guy that left the uh, voicemail, I think. And Johnny John A., if that is your real name. Either way, we don't care as long as your money is real. And uh, we do thank you guys. <laughs> we thank you guys so much for your support. It does mean a lot, guys. Listen, um, uh, you know, we want to be able to do this podcast on a weekly basis. Um, you know, we do, we are, we are, all of us are authors and bloggers and writers, and we're trying our best. We have, you know, we're trying to support uh, ourselves and our loved ones. Uh, and we want to be able to do more of this and not less of it. And so your, your contribution means so, so much on Patreon. Uh, so please, if you haven't yet, go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. And, uh, you know, so you can sign up and support. We uh, have thank yous where we were, we're trying to post on a regular basis where we just want to say, Thank you, guys. We record bonus content. So if you're a supporter, you'll get to hear uh, bonus interview content that, that isn't on the regular podcast. You'll get to hear bonus uh, conversations between the three of us uh, that also doesn't show up anywhere else. 
uh, and things like that. So we're trying to do our best to just kind of load you guys up and say thank you because we do appreciate you and your contribution. And, and it really, you know what? It makes us feel like we're not alone either, that you guys are with us. You do love us. You do support us. And you do want to see us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah. And um, so is it time for our, our Heretic of the Week? It's the Heretic of the Week. Hello, my name is Pete, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Hi. And and I haven't had a heresy since... <laughs> what, what time is it? <laughs> Ten minutes ago, because I was writing a book. So anyway, yeah. Well, well thank you so much, uh, uh, Peter Enns, for coming on the show. This is Matt DiStefano, and I uh, just want to jump right into it and ask you... Um, if you could give us maybe a couple reasons why people consider you a heretic. Well, yeah, I mean, some do. Uh, I got, you know, actually, that's a good question because uh, not to dance around it, but people even define what a heretic is sure. differently. Mm-hmm. And a heretic is like, you disagree with me on anything. Yes. As opposed to a heretic is, I mean, technically somebody who's teaching something that's sort of damnable. And I, I get, you know, I'm, you're the mouthpiece of Satan. I get that occasionally, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> But I do. I mean, I literally, I do. You know, you sound just like the snake in the garden saying, did God really say, you know, so, you know, no hermeneutical sensitivity there and that kind of a question. But I'd say the the issue really comes down to, I think it's the grandmother of all issues. It's not what God is like. It's not what Jesus is like. It's what do you think of the Bible? Because everything sort of falls from that, at least within certain Christian communities, right? Which I'm I'm trying to avoid words like fundamentalism or evangelicalism because <laughs> mm-hmm. go beyond that too. But you know, it's it's um th- those communities that I would say uh, the word I prefer is biblicistic, mm-hmm. which is you know the Bible more or less tells you what to think or what to do, and if it's clear, it's clear, and that's all there is to it. There's no debating of you know contradictions or historical context is interesting but maybe minimally so you know it's, it's that kind of a thing sort of thinking of the bible as a rule book mm-hmm. or an owner's manual mm-hmm. so i think that's sort of what it comes down to that because everything sort of trickles mm-hmm. off of that yeah that makes sense right and um so can i give you a quick example yeah, it's like even things like you know um paul talks about adam and treats adam as if adam is a real person that's in Romans chapter five, which may or may not be true. But you know, the question that I ask in terms of just what is the Bible is, well, Paul's a first century man. Right. And and how would I expect him to talk about human origins in, in a way other than what people would have assumed at the time, which is, you know, everything that's alive comes from an original couple of mm-hmm. some sort, whether it's lizards, snakes, bears, or people. So I want to look at Paul contextually, but you know, for some that's not taking Paul seriously and therefore quote heretical. But for me, it's taking Paul very seriously and trying to understand his moment mm. and what he would have said and why he would have said yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. We kind of functionally, um, and I think we, the three of us, have also run into similar uh, accusations as well. But it's almost like we, uh, when I say we, I think Christians in general uh, tend to sort of act as if Paul is infallible himself, like. Paul could never make a mistake about anything. Uh, everything that Paul said must be absolutely accurate and true uh, in every possible sense, mm-hmm. right? Because because if he's not, then the Bible isn't, and we need a Bible that is, of course, right. inerrant and infallible and all that. 
And if the Bible isn't, then God isn't. That's really what it comes yes. down to, because the doctrine of God is shaped really around this notion of biblicism or inerrancy. And uh, that's, you know, that's a nice theory. But then you start reading the Bible, it's like, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> you know, there's there's all sorts of stuff happening here that I don't think is actually true. But I know it's in the Bible, and I know why it's there. So maybe this Bible is casting us to sort of, uh, you know, onto a journey of some sort of gaining wisdom, for mm -hmm. example, rather than, again, the rule book mentality that I think many Christians are raised with, which, again, is a great idea if it works. But then you wouldn't have two stories of Israel in the Old Testament that don't fit right. together. You wouldn't have four Gospels that don't fit together. You wouldn't have Paul yes. talking about the law differently depending on what letter you're reading. Yep. You know, you just you wouldn't have that kind yep. of stuff. So, but you do, which is God's yes. little joke. And you also, and you also have sort of progressive revelation happening uh, in the Old Testament about different things. Like, you know, does God like sacrifice or God doesn't like sacrifice? Right. And then that's an ongoing conversation, right. which gets continued into the New uh, Testament yeah. scriptures. Or, um, you know, is Jesus? We just talked to interviewed Bart Ehrman about this um, a couple of days ago about how um, the idea of the divinity of Jesus, you know, started off in Mark. He was he was God at his baptism, or and then well, no, in Luke he was God at the conception. Well, no, and later on in John he's God from the beginning of all time. And you have so you have progressive mm -hmm. revelation, and I think even even most I hate to use the word again fundamentalist or evangelical Christians um, would acknowledge that even throughout church history, certain doctrines like the Trinity um, were progressively you know like people didn't have it all worked out in the beginning. And they figured it out eventually. But, right. the, but the problem that I see is there's always a line drawn where any and all progressive revelation ends at this point, And then now we can no longer continue to think critically about scriptures ever again. Right, right. I think that's hugely important. It, it, it ends where our church was founded. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not kidding. It, yeah. it ends where our tradition sort of has crystallized. I have, you know, I've talked to people, I used to hang out with people who said that Basically, our the view of our tradition is Christianity come into its own, finally. And, you know, I wonder what they're going to be saying 500 years from now, if we haven't blown right, ourselves right. up. And, you know, the thing is, you know, um, can I put a slightly different slant on that? Because I'm, I'm all down with progressive revelation. I'm not sure if that describes the Gospels as much as community mm. needs. Because it, not a lot of time passed, probably between Mark, right. Matthew, and Luke, and I think, um, and I, again, the, the, I think the term is a good one for thinking. Let's say the sweep of Scripture, but with the Gospels, you have um, you have self consciously like Matthew reading Mark. Yeah. That's almost yeah. certainly true, and saying, "Yeah, I'm going to say mm -hmm. it differently." I mean, we can call that progressive revelation. I'd rather just call yes. it right. theology, right? And and or even just addressing the needs of a community. And the same with Luke and with John. And and I think contextual things are uh, helpful for uh, explaining that kind of phenomenon. And even like in the Old Testament, I the way you put it is is really good because they're like even through church history, doctrines yeah. have developed, thoughts have developed, and. You know, the way I like to put that is that it's, you know, the, the whole history of the Bible is reimagining God in view of mm -hmm. changing circumstances. We, we wouldn't have half of what we think about God if it weren't for the right. exile. Right. 
that, that changed things and how people thought about God from before. So, and I think, you know, the, a term like progressive revelation is completely compatible with that. But I guess I'm looking at it more from the bottom up rather than to mm. top down. And I'm looking at how different circumstances have affected writers to even conceive of law differently. Deuteronomy and Exodus don't agree on stuff. You know, and, and well, why is that? Well, because Deuteronomy is probably written much later than Exodus, and it's maybe more humane in some of the laws or things like that. So, and all of what I'm telling you right now is absolutely heretical in the sense that, you know, if, if you're looking to the Bible to be, quote, God breathed, which means every writer is on the yeah. same page, and even the human writers are more or less inconsequential because historical context won't affect what God actually mm -hmm. says. You know, I mean, again, that's a great theory, hmm. but it's hard to yeah. read the Bible that way. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost impossible, actually. And I think when you, whenever you step out and you point out to people, which I have done, I know Matt and Jamal have done as well, when you point out to people that, hey, you know, there's some contradictions here, um, you know, even between like, I, I just recently wrote an article about how, you know, Jesus contradicted things in, in Moses. He, he contradicted Jeremiah. Um uh, in 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 his sermon on the mount, or he, no, 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 he, <laughs> he revealed the true meaning. Of course. Of well, if that's always the pushback, right? But it's like, yeah, if right. here's the thing, you know, it's like, but if I just took out, if I if I took the names Jesus and Moses out of this, and I said, you know, there was a guy who said this, and then later on another guy said right. this, you would say, yeah, those guys don't agree. Yes, those they're contradicting. Right. Them. But if I the minute I say, well, <laughs> Moses says that you need to swear an oath by the name of God, by the name of Jehovah. And then Jesus says, you shouldn't only say yes or no, and anything else is from the evil one. That's kind right. of like two different views, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and of course, the need to protect something generates the reaction in the second, but not in the first. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with. I mean, part of the her heretical accusations for a lot of people is because it really comes from a place of fear. Yes. And... um there's a lot of emotion involved in that. So you can't listen to, hey, let me show you some contradictions. Actually, what I like to do is, is it, well, read that and read that and tell me, how do you explain those yep. things? And just let them dig the <laughs> hole. Not not to say, I got you. you know, not, not to say, I got you, but to say, let's talk about the nature of Scripture. And, and if you believe in God, what kind of a Bible do we have designed here? Is it one to give us the firm answers where all things agree, or are we watching a conversation happening and even a debate and a development in that sense? You know, is, is that what's happening? And, and uh, you know, I, I think that's, to me, a much more pleasing explanation for how the Bible works. It just, there's less tension for me, you know, of, of thinking about it if I just sort of go in that yeah, direction. But, but the challenge I... Oh, can I say something yeah, else? I forgot, yeah. Before I forget, because this is this will change your life. Okay, you ready? And everybody who hears this will now be different from what I'm, I'm about to say. I, I, not really. Um, I I don't like the word contradiction. I use it all the time, but I don't like it because when you have two people at two different times saying two different things because they're different circumstances and different purposes, I don't think that's a contradiction. I think this is contextual understanding of what people say. I don't think Paul contradicts himself when he talks about the law one way and then a very different way in another letter because that's a context. There's a purpose for that. The, the whole term contradiction already presumes that there's one author with yeah. one mind, which is God. Now, Whatever God's doing with the Bible, with inspiration, I frankly have no earthly idea. <laughs> yes. I don't, and neither does anybody else, and I'll go to the mat on that one. Nobody knows how this mm -hmm. works, right? But 
you know, it, to, to say contradiction already assumes the point that has to be proven, which is God is actually directing the words of this text. And, th- you know, that's, that, that sort of creates a problem that doesn't need to be. So the word contradiction, well, we wouldn't want anybody to contradict themselves. The Bible's important. It can't contradict. I think we have to get rid of that language entirely. Yeah. It's not helpful. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair. Yeah, um, and it is. You're right. It is sort of a lightning rod comment. If you the minute you say contradiction, everybody gets upset um, about it. I, I what I wanted to say go uh, before that was, so you I, I like your approach to say to to somebody, hey, read this scripture, and now read this scripture, and now work it out. The and that that could work, I guess, depending on the person. But what I what I've run into is that right. people are really really good at finding very creative ways to, you know, do these spiritual gymnastics to prove that they're mm-hmm. actually both saying the same thing and, um, right. and not really being fair and like, but that's not exactly what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So it's some, in some, in some cases, right. it's sort of a justification or, um, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause people want so badly for it to be yeah. The same, like you said, there is one right. narrator. There's only one thought all the way through. There is it doesn't it, it doesn't uh, disagree with itself ever. You know, the, the guy there's pastors that stand yeah. up and and I hear them all the time and they hold up the Bible and say this is the inspired word of God. Every word of it is true. There's not a single contradiction. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, man! Either you're deluded or yeah. you have never actually read it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I I would I agree with that, and that's why there are people who aren't at the place where they would be able to engage that conversation. Right. right. So I don't like go to people despite what I write on my blog, probably every other day, but I don't like go to people and say, let me show you how your faith in the Bible is screwed up. I will now prove mm-hmm. it to you that, you know, the Bible has contradictions and you're going to like it. You know, it's, I just sort of want to hold out a way of thinking for people for when they're ready mm. for that kind of discussion to say, oh, there are actually people out there who are trying to follow Jesus who actually think in exactly the way I've always been told only evil people yeah. think. And there are a lot of them. There are actually many more. And even throughout church history, you know, this the, the, the inerrancy is not the norm in church history. Even though Augustine might have used said things like, you know, without error and things like that, the, the baggage around that word today and the expectations of it in a post-enlightenment scientific mindset is not anything that ancients or medieval Christians would have understood. Amen. Yeah. You know, we, we're freighting that with a lot of <laughs> uh, uh, baggage that it simply can't bear. So, you know, th- this is a new thing. This kind of biblicism is a new thing in the history of Christianity, two, three hundred years old. Yeah. Uh, Peter, this is Jamal here. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, um, Jamal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I totally I love what you're sharing here. And I, I personally feel like uh, the need for inerrancy or infallibility, you know, is really more it's, it's more, in my opinion, just a psychological human a quest mm. for, for certainty, you know, and yeah. um, it's, it's obviously it, it's, it's an illusion doesn't, you know, there's not a lot of certainty in it, but it, that's the need for it. But I wanted to ask you um, just, just curious a little bit about your, your spiritual background. Like what is your, what is your tradition? What, what, what was the spiritual background of your, of your childhood like? And what was your deacon uh, deconstruction? We talk a lot about constructing yeah. our faith. What is what was your deconstruction process like for you? Yeah, I, that's uh, 
yeah i um wait a minute i'm confirming with my lawyer should i answer that yeah, okay i'm gonna that's fine okay no um i see my parents were german immigrants and i was raised with a knowledge of the christian god sort of on the back burner but very much there all the time i remember really believing in god when i was young uh and, and being Europeans, they weren't like in your face inerrantists. They just don't even know what that means, you know. So, but they were Christians, and and we went to church, and I was confirmed Lutheran, and like in seventh grade, and then didn't really go back. I had a conversion experience to, to being a Nazarene uh, in high school, and that lasted about a year because I had too many questions, and uh, that really started sort of a spiritual. Um, uh, you know, journey toward uh, sort of owning my faith in my adult years. So I didn't have the same obstacles that a lot of people have had growing up fundamentalist. You know, I, I did that, that wasn't my story, but I still had enough of what you'd call, I guess, evangelical influences to sort of think something was the norm that I had to think through. And for me, I guess the, the what really created the deconstruction was the way that was modeled for me to think about the nature of the Christian faith and the nature of the Bible didn't really have any explanatory power once I started doing what they always told me I had to do, which is read my Bible every day. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start reading, it's like, ah, okay. Genesis 1 and 2. Oh, excuse me, there are two creation stories. They don't fit. Oh, no, they fit perfectly. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. You know, um, Or, you know, the flood story, why are there two by two and then seven animals in the ark? You know, all these standard sort of Bible difficulties that are yes. actually difficulties. Yeah. You know, but, you know, you can you can always find a creative midrashic way of handling these contradictions and if you need to do that's where you are that's fine i'm not there to stop you so but um i think for me you know the real i guess the real deconstruction was two things one is graduate school which was sort of a lower grade deconstruction because i was always sort of open-minded and curious anyway and so you know new ideas don't floor me I try to sort of think through them, uh, but it's things like, you know, basic things in Old Testament history that, you know, I I was never really uh, forced to grapple with, and I should have been, especially in seminary, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, oh, gosh, there's this, now I know why everybody's a liberal. These <laughs> things make sense, you know? <laughs> But you know, it's it's not a matter of liberal or not because there are plenty of liberals who are true Christians. There are plenty of evangelicals. I think they're just going along for the sociological clout that they get from it. But um, so, I mean, t- for me, that was a big one. It's like hearing things, like really grappling with maybe the hmm. patriarchs never really lived; they weren't people. Maybe they're constructs to talk about the past, you know, the conquest, the exodus, you know, David's reign. I mean, Solomon's reign, it goes on and on, you know. And But I think the second level of deconstruction was more personal. And I write about this in The Sin of Certainty, where loss of community and a family that was struggling tremendously, my own family, for various reasons, really pulled mm-hmm. the rug out from under me, thinking I can sort mm-hmm. of control this God thing. And I had to let go of that. And that was a much bigger deconstruction mm-hmm. that I'm sort of still in. I don't think you ever quite leave that. But then you, you look for 
the anchor not in your exegetical capabilities, your theological knowledge. You, you look at it and you, you try to simply trust every day and make the right choices. And you know, I've come to think how normal that is actually historically for the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to ask you this uh, with with your work, and um, would you say that the aim of what you of what you want, like you know, I think about like, okay, what do I want people to get out of my work? What what do I feel like my purpose here, so to speak, is what am I, what's my essence? What am I trying to do here in the world? Like, would you say that part of your work or the essence of your work is to get people to come out of illusions, uh, to get people to, um, uh, just, you know, maybe unhook, uh, from the anchor of like this, this illusion they've, you know, they they've anchored to like, what was, what's the heart of your, what do you want to see uh, people get across from reading your work and being, you know, um, from receiving what you have to offer? Yeah. Well, I mean, my real goal is to make a lot of money and get a movie contract. <laughs> you shouldn't do theology, man. Come on. <laughs> I think I think Roseanne Barr. I'm gonna have Roseanne Barr play Pharaoh in the Exodus story, and I'm I'm casting it now yeah, in my mind anyway. But no, actually, I failed in both of those goals miserably. But and that's fine. But I, I think you know what am I trying to do? I think I'd put it this way: I'm trying to be a part of a larger sort of community that's out there because there are many you guys i mean there there are many 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 people who are sort of in the same space and to sort of create that space and to provide through conversation and other things to provide language for people who are experiencing cognitive dissonance yeah and a journey you know so i mean i i guess i put it this way i i like talking to those people who are you know, barely Christian or struggling to be Christian, or even in some respects, formerly Christian, not sort of a cheap apologetic to get them back, but to say, listen, you were sold something that makes sense in certain moments in history sociologically, but if God exists, God must be much bigger than what you've been told. And I don't blame you for walking away. I don't blame you for struggling. I don't blame you for barely hanging on. Because what you're hanging on to is a parody. Mm. And the the truth may be deeper than any of us understand or realize. And you get to spend your life exploring that if you want to. Yeah. By faith, humbly, I hope. And and you know, believing fundamentally in a God who's merciful. And I don't mean begrudgingly so. Like, oh Lord, we thank you for your boundless <laughs> mercy on our lives. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, I'm always thinking of God up there, like saying, okay, I'll be merciful, but just this one. Sort of begrudgingly. How about, you know, like the father in the parable of um, the lost son who goes out to run to meet his son before he even says a word? Yeah. You know, if God is actually like that, people, we don't have a lot of worries yeah. here. Yeah. You know, and we can't help when we were born and where we were born and the questions that generate from from our personal experiences or just our location in this human drama. We and and if if God's worth anything, I think God can handle that. Yeah. It, yeah. You reminded me of the the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's what I was gonna say. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Burning your eyes, oh Lord. Oh stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Stop grumbling. Stop, stop, stop grumbling. Every time I appear to someone, says, I'm sorry this, and I'm not worthy that. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Oh, uh, those guys had a handle on some things, didn't they? I'll tell you that much. I think they did, yes. <laughs> oh, so I, I was curious, Peter. Um, 
you're talking about deconstruction. And so uh, in your experience, like, do you ever, do you feel like you have finished deconstructing? Like, have you sort of like, okay, I've, I've deconstructed things to a point and now I've arrived and now I'm kind of finished. Or do you feel like you're like continually deconstructing? Yep. (laughs) And again, that's me. You're asking me and I'm not saying, and everybody should be like, yeah, I'm the same way. I think people have different personalities, right? So I just, it's just, I can't ever sit still. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just, I just can't. And I think a a big part of my own growth just as a person is, you know, a decade or so ago in my forties, not in my twenties when it should have happened, but in my forties, just saying you are who you are. And if you try, if you keep putting on these social, these masks and these roles that people assign to you, is that what God wants? Well, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm a question asker. I always look at the other side of things and I'm a bit of a, um, I don't know. What's the right word? There's one I'm thinking of that I can't say on a podcast. You can say whatever but, you want. Um, oh yeah. You can say whatever you want on this one. No, no, I'll get in trouble. No, no, we, God will be no, angry you, no, with me won't. if I say this. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's, um, my, my personality is, sort of always like, yeah, but, you know, and sort of a curmudgeon. And, and, uh, one person put it to me positively. He said that I have a prophetic archetype, which sounds really self-important, but it's not, it just means like, I'm always sort of like pushing the boundaries further out and saying, this looks really interesting over here. We hadn't thought of this before. Hey, come on with me and follow me. You know, that, that's sort of rather than let's say a shepherd archetype or a royal archetype or something like that it's more of an explorer thing and you know so that's that's sort of that wires me and i just decided listen i'm just going to be who i am and i think i have something to say and there are people who are going to be attracted to that and helped by it and there are other people who won't and you have to take both Right, I'm not going to like conquer the internet. It's just not going to happen. And I'm, you know, when people say, you know, not kind things about me, okay, I'm a big boy. <laughs> I can handle that. I just, you know, I don't. You're not the boss of me. You know, <laughs> you know. So it, it just happens. And and you know, I mean, if you if, if if the criticism is too much, I mean, sometimes it gets really nasty, but not too much for me. I just, I don't I don't live with that on a daily basis. But if if you don't like criticism don't talk about God. Don't talk about the Bible. Don't talk about Christianity. Wow. Somebody's going to hate your guts. I wish someone had told me that a long time ago, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, more importantly, don't try to earn your living doing it. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's the part. I'm too late for me. I'm 57. I got to stick with this, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. Uh, this has been so great. Um, Peter, uh, I, I wish we had more time for, for to just keep on going on this, but um, uh, we are kind of coming up at the end. Is that, I want to ask you sure. here if um, if people like like us right now can't get enough of what we're hearing and we want to hear more and follow more of what you're doing and keep up with you know your writing and things like that, um, do you have any new projects coming up? Anything you want us to know about? Where can we follow you? Any new mm-hmm. books? You know, Let us know what's up. Well, I'm, I'm working on a book now that, I don't even know what it's about and I'm halfway done, but I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting the hang of it. So, but I'm hoping like by the end of the summer, I'm going to have a lot more concrete stuff to say, but it is about the Bible as, um, a model for seeking wisdom. It's more of a wisdom quest mm-hmm. than it is. Let's put the bricks back in the fortress. 
But the the what's a little bit different about this book is that I'm really being explicit as much as I, I, I can that this is a good thing. This is the way the Bible seems to be sort of designed, if I can even put it that way. This is this is what the Bible is doing, and that's good news for us because we get to figure out life in God's presence and not God's not a helicopter parent, in other words, yeah. so hovering over us. We we have to figure things out. So it's sort of like showing through the Bible, like that's actually how the Bible works. It doesn't work as a rule book very well. And here's why it's great news that it's about wisdom and not about just having some knowledge about something. So I'm working on that. Um, I do have a website, pdens.com, aka the Bible for normal people. And uh, part of that is a podcast, which uh, is just so much fun to do. I, I never thought I'd like hosting a podcast with uh, Jared Bias, who's, who's the co-host. But um, it's just a ton of fun, and we're getting a lot of helpful feedback and a occasional heretic things, but that's okay. <laughs> um, hey, whatever. Um, yeah, so I mean, th those are the big things, and you know, on my website, you can find out all sorts of information about what I'm working on, and um, if people want to help us, you know, through Patreon to sort of contribute and get some content that's not released to the public, that's wonderful too. But there are a lot of things going on, just the blog and the conversations that happen around that. So, uh, and Twitter and Facebook, all the usual stuff, you can find me there too. Awesome, cool. Well, this has been so exciting. Um, I really yeah. appreciate you coming on and being our guest. Sure. I had, I had a great time, Keith. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks, uh, Jamal and Matt. Well, Peter, it's great to have you on the podcast. We really, really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. thanks. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. See you guys. God bless. Mm -hmm. Appreciate Peter Enns um, coming on the podcast. I just, I don't know. We get, we get some really cool guests on our podcast. Don't you guys agree? I agree. Yeah, uh, dude. It's been unbelievable. Like I never, I was just talking to my wife about this. I never expected to talk to so many cool people. Oh yeah. You know, just, just like across the board doesn't, you know, they all have different stories and they all have different contributions, but there's such, you know, again, the chance to talk to such fascinating characters of the world. It's, it's blown me away. It yeah. is. It's really cool. It's a blessing to, and uh, there's something about just being able to do a podcast, to be able to bring different voices on, on to have this conversation. It's just so good. And and before I get it, we get into this week's topic, which is <laughs> really cool. Um, I, I just wanted to say thank you to the listeners from last week. Obviously, we had Sarah Bessie on last week. We talked about Mary Magdalene. And um, I got a lot of responses, people sending me private messages asking for, you know, just my, you know, a little more information about my journey, things I've read. And I just thank you for the folks that did that to reach out. I mean, I was really, I really love uh, to share this part of my life and journey with you guys. And if, um, if I didn't get back with you, I will, I promise. And if, you know, you don't hear from me in a few days, please, you know, send me another message, but uh, I'm doing my best to answer everybody. But that's, uh, it was really cool to, to get those messages from you guys. So, but this week, we have a great topic in store, which I think is has a lot of implications for our the way we perceive ourselves, the world, and our lives, God, and all these things. And we're going to talk about a three-letter word called sin. Mm. And so, so the question, you know, maybe we can start off the topic with this question: uh, What is sin? Like, what is it? How would you? How would? How do you guys understand sin? Is it? Is it? What is it? In your understanding? Well. Keith, I'll I, I'll go first. Um, sure. Yeah, please. I I was I was always told it was missing the mark, and 
I never understood what that really meant because I was just always like, well, what do you mean missing the mark? Like you try to think of an analogy like Robin Hood shooting the arrow through the thing. Like, okay, so we got to be laser focused on something, but what is that something? And, and, and then we would, I don't know. I was just told like, well, certain things are sin. So examples were given to me, like don't masturbate, don't say fuck. Um, so all these examples of what so that's how I thought of it back, you know, back when I was younger. Um, and now it's like, well, I, when we re, when we deconstruct and reconstruct all these things, sin is definitely one of those ones we got to relook at. Right. Um, anyone who has come from a, a more fundamentalist evangelical background who deconstructs out of there would then have to think, well, if it's not, if it's not necessarily don't do this and don't do that, because I don't think of it like that anymore. What is it? And I, I think this topic will be very interesting to talk about. If I gave a short answer, I would say um, subverting the notion of shalom, um, yeah. Yeah. Being, being out of step with the peace of God. And so then that's where I start the, the conversation. Keith, do you have some ideas? Yeah, I've, um, I guess my definition of sin, it totally has changed over the years. Like, you know, uh, in the beginning, like you said, I was always told it was missing the mark. And that typically meant not being perfect or not keeping the Ten Commandments or just in general, you know, being a bad person. And, and I think, unfortunately, that's what for most people, that's what it means. You're a bad person. And I think that's what we're going to probably get into in this in this podcast. And I hope so anyway, to talk about like, is that really what it is? Or is that what we should take away? From the concept of sin, but but over time, like lately, what I, my definition of sin is is essentially um, anyone who fails to love God or love others the way Jesus commanded. Because if if the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like the first, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, then I think the greatest sin, the greatest failure, the greatest heresy, the greatest you know, uh, the greatest failure is to not do that, is to not love God and to not love others. Um, the way Christ has loved you. And, and, and I think to me, if we just simply think of it that way, um, obviously we all, we all have our moments where we forget to do that. Um, but it's more of a reminder that we should not, not some sort of condemnation on us that we carry around with us, like some Mark, uh, that we need to, we can never scrub off, you know? Yeah. Jamal, what are your thoughts initially? Yeah, this is a great conversation. Um, the word sin. Yeah. I don't actually believe in sin anymore. I don't think it exists. My personal my personal view is that sin, as we have previously understood it, or at least I've previously understood it, is not real. Now, I, let me, I guess, I get to explain that a little bit is... Yeah, you're going to have to unpack that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sin. Okay. I'll quote an authority on the subject. Okay. There was this, this neuros neurosurgeon by the name of Dr. Eben Alexander. Some of you guys might've heard of him. He had a near death experience and uh, he was in a coma for seven days or whatever, but he had, his brain was completely destroyed. He was brain dead. And, and during this time he actually had conscious memories and conscious experiences. And they're actually studying him because of it, because it's challenging the neuro, the, 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 the world, the world of uh, neurology in which they believe that consciousness is a construct of the brain. And of course his experiences demonstrate that it's not. So, um, but basically one of the things that he learned during his just amazing experiences in this other realm, um, what was communicated to him was, is that there is no such thing as right and wrong, good or evil. Like that is a, that is a false construct that there are things basically that you, that in this life we learn 
what is love and what isn't love. So um, I really honestly think that there's just there's just reality. So God, I love when God communicated with Moses. Moses says, you know, obviously he's thinking of gods as being the way their society used to view gods as, you know, these idols or these God has a name and my personality, like in a, in a very, you know, kind of a humanistic way. And so he's asking this God who's communicating to him, well, who are you? And he's like, and God's answer is like, I'm not going to give you a name. I'm just going to tell you the essence of what I, of what God is and which is just being itself. I am. And it's just reality. I am isness, however you want to put it. And so I just think that there's reality and then there's everything else that is not congruent with reality. So what is God? God is love. God is being. And so anything that does not flow with that reality is what I think people would refer to as sin. A lot of people refer to actions and say, okay, that's a sin that's wrong or right. But again, we're coming out of this whole mindset. Like even in the story of Genesis, the two trees, the garden, in the garden, you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a problem. And human beings, I think it's a brilliant analogy, by the way, in that story, because it's like human beings were never governed to live by this this construct of this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, this is good yeah. or evil. It's like, that's a problem. So sin, the whole language around sin, this is a sin, this is not, is all still based around this long language of good and evil. And I think it's unhelpful and it's never helped anybody. Um, this is why in Christianity, you know, it's just riddled with everything. Like I, I find it interesting. This is probably a side note, but I think there's something to it that in the Bible belt in the South, when you think of like, when we think of sin, we think of like deviant sexual behavior. We think of all different kinds of things like that, but every sin and vice that quote unquote in evangelical Christianity, they decry is rampant in the places where evangelical Christianity is the strongest. So if you look in the Bible belt in the United States, porn, porn addiction to porn is off the charts in any place where uh, where religion, which so much coined things through the lens of good and evil, right and wrong, like it produces the very thing. It's not helpful language. So I think we need to kind of go away from this idea of right and wrong, good and bad in the in the conversation about sin. That's just some thoughts. Uh, yeah, Jamal, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, especially at the end there. And, and it's true. If, if you look up statistics in the Bible Belt, this, you know, for some for some reason, the things that they say is sinful they're doing i mean we but this is going to be going back forever i mean this is paul in romans like you know all these things that you say other people are doing you're doing them too so this is nothing new um but i wanted to go back to something you said uh in regards to sin not existing in one way i think i agree with you in in that like when we think of evil it's the privation of something it's not like an ontological reality it's like the the analogy of light and darkness when you shine a light in the room the darkness it's like it, it you realize it's not necessarily a reality it's just a lack of light so evil is a lack of good or of love or, or what have you but then i still think we can say well that is what sin is and not necessarily focus on sins plural but sin capital s in that if we talk about sin as maybe a lack of something, call it a lack of insight or a lack of awareness um, to the good or the true or the beautiful, um, but we can still say that that's what that is and say, yes, while, at, while at one, in one way it's not a reality, like darkness isn't a reality, but it is something that we experience because certainly we see the effects of what we would, what we might call sin in the world with how much violence and scapegoating 
and jealousy and rivalry and nationalism and what have you, we certainly see the effects of something. And isn't it fair to call that maybe capitalist sin or a power and principality, as Paul would put it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, just like, you know, I, I was having this conversation the other day and, you know, thoughts from a metaphysical standpoint, you know, even from a, like, I mean, this is verifiable in, in modern science, but like even thoughts, thoughts that you have carry a vibrational quality. Like there is actual, you can actually detect them uh, in your, in brain scans, brain waves, that kind of thing. Has, there's a vibrational quality to it. So a, a negative thought, an evil thought, hateful thought, whatever it is, that's not loving does have a actual vibrational quality that can go out and affect things. So it is something in that sense, like it, it's, it, it does have a manifestation in the physical world. But when I say it's not real or doesn't exist, I mean, like it just doesn't correspond to what is ultimate. Um, that's just my understanding of it. It's not yeah. like, uh, e- even in my book, free to love, I, there's a chapter, it's called the lie of lack. And really, I, I really feel like if you can boil it all down to it, it's just, it's really every behavior that somebody would say that's sinful it really comes out of this essence of just a belief that you're lacking something. It's either a lack of being like, we're not like God. I think that's the original problem of humanity is they lost sight of like the true identity of a person, which is that we are like God, that we are the image and likeness of God. And so when somebody comes from a vantage point that we lack that and that there's lack in the universe, that's where all the dysfunction and breakdown comes from. So it's uh, it is something. And then we, and then once we act out of that, we're producing something for sure. But the reality is, is there's no lack. I mean, we have a plentiful universe. It comes from a plentiful source, which we call God. Everything is plentiful. It's full. There's no lack in anything. So sin, in that sense, doesn't exist. It's it's just only when we manifest that lie that it can then become something. Just my understanding. Yeah. Well, um, so I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about um. Because you're right when you when you when you do kind of studies and things about you know, like the Bible Belt, which is supposed to be it should be you would expect it to be the most quote unquote Christian uh, part of the of the nation. Uh, they're the ones with the the highest amount. I think not only of pornography, but even of like prostitution and yeah. sex crimes and things like that. It's it's but here here's what I think the reason why because I think it's because those Christians in those areas are typically probably more focused on sin. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like, don't think about elephants. Don't think about elephants. Don't think about elephants. Right. Everybody's thinking about elephants. Right. So like they're because, because they're focusing and, and the same kind of a thing, what I've, I've seen where Christians, uh, they spend a lot of time talking about the devil and Satan and his demons. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What about, why are you focused so much on, on, you know, darkness? Why are you focusing on light and, and love and freedom and, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, that kind of stuff. Like I feel like they're focused on quite often. We can be focused on the wrong things. And then we sort of, because that's what everybody's constantly thinking about or trying not to think about. You're focused so much on uh, sin management. You're focused so much on what you're not supposed to do. Then you're just constantly aware of your powerlessness. And I think that's, I think that's not true, but the, the, um, but the theology that we often give to, we hand to people, uh, is that not only do we emphasize sin or we emphasize Satan too much, we also unfortunately emphasize the idea that you are powerless to resist temptation. You are powerless to live any sort of a life that would look like the life Jesus lived. And I think that is absolutely false. That is absolutely not what the scriptures say, that that actually it's the opposite, that, that we see Jesus saying, abide in me and I will abide in you. 
So if Christ is alive in me, then I can do the things he did. I can live the life, a life like he lived. You know, this is why Paul talks about that, um, that the grace of God isn't just what saves us. It's what empowers us to say no to those, those temptations and to those, those parts of our nature that would lead us towards not loving God and not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, and so it's weird. So it's like, okay, if, if your whole focus as a Christian church is to A, tell everybody not to sin, and then B, tell them basically they're powerless against sin, well, then I think you pretty much set them up for a whole lot of sinning. <laughs> so it's kind of screwy, and it, but it's also like, well, you shouldn't be surprised if that's the kind of behavior that, that you get, the fruit of that mm. teaching. Of course, it's going to be that. Instead of um, teaching them that, no, if you abide in Christ, you, Christ will abide in you, that you can live a way that is more like the life that Christ lived, that is more focused on loving God and loving others. Um, and I think if we emphasize that, then we're not going to even worry about sin. Like our focus isn't what is sin, what isn't sin. You know, our focus is on Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something powerful about um, what you tell people. You know, uh, it reminds me of a doctor. I, I listened to a podcast a while back with this, this medical doctor who he says, I never tell my patients that they're going to die. And I never tell them, especially when like he's a, he was treating lots of cancer patients. And he said, a lot of times people get diagnosed with this thing, this certain kind of cancer. And of course, people in stage four, they live with this cancer, tend to live two months, three months. He goes, I never tell my people that. He said, because what, what doctors first do is they diagnose you with cancer and they tell you this is what your prognosis is and this is how much they can expect you to, how long they expect you to live. And you, you're usually right. He goes, but with my patients, I never tell them that they're going to die and never tell them that they have only so much to live. He goes, and most of my patients, I mean, oh, like almost 100%, he said, will completely blow the doors off of all those stats. He said, because we don't realize like what you tell people, what they believe about themselves is what you do. So it's, it's, there's something about like labeling people a sinner or labeling people these 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 identities it's like no actually what if we were what if we weren't sinners like what if we're not sinners uh what if that entire language has been problematic from the very beginning what if what if that actually is the sin <laughs> is that we are that we have bought into this false identity um and i think that's the problem i think that's a huge part of the issue yeah i agree with you i think that is a, a huge problem i think where we start talking about ourselves or generally others, really, if we're being honest, are sinners, you know, it's because we're talking about all these things as if, as if these behaviors define us. Right. So if we do this, if we do this, we're that. If we do this, we're that and not this. Um, so if we are gay, we're a sinner. And if we get married, have sex before we're married, then, then we're a sinner. And it's like, okay. Those are how, you know, that's how I thought of sin back then. You know, again, like, I I think it's a different understanding now. But so those are what we say in the evangelical world, especially. And and there's, of course, a whole host of others. But what if sin is more of a cultural sin rather than specific little jots and tittles? Because if it's a cultural sin, of course, we know that the the way we structure our cultures and religions and our politics and our states are all based on violence, are all based on going back to what I said earlier, subverting God's notion of shalom or peace. And so when we think of how we structure ourselves, 
culturally and religiously, us versus them, tribes and not other tribes, you know, the good tribes, not the bad tribes, then it's the structuring sin, capital S. So, but that's not, of course, where our culture is not where we derive our nature. Our nature is in the divine. So our identity is never, even if we engage in these cultural mechanisms, Paul called them the powers and principalities, that's not our identity. So therefore, we're not sinners in our identity. We're children of God in our identity who engage in or live in the world of the powers or the principalities or the religions or the tribes or the nations. And, but it never, but that never defines us. That's where we are in this time and place, but it's not our true identity. Yeah. Oh, dude, absolutely, Matt. I'm so glad you said that. I I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's what I was kind of getting to at the beginning. I think the, um, the sad thing and the dangerous thing is when we start to believe that that the title sinner is our identity, that that is who we are. Um, right. And again, we, and it kind of goes back on the whole thing, the, the podcast we did about uh, a wretch like me. Uh, right. We did that worm theology. And I'm so against that because I used I was raised in that and I, I bought into that for so long. And then, of course, what happens, right? So, so let's say you do slip up, right? And certainly as a teenager, you backslide. You, yeah, you backslide or you see some pornography and you have lust in your heart or you, you know what I mean? You do something you're not supposed to do. And then you immediately, what, what comes over you is nothing but overwhelming shame. Guilt and, and, shame. Right. and you just feel like, well, I'm always going to be this way. Uh, that's, I'm just a sinner. I'm, uh, you know, it just reinforces this lie. This is the lie. Like that God never, ever in the New Testament, if you start reading what God says about us, uh, all he tells us is how much he loves us, that it's higher, wider, longer, and deeper than we can imagine, that nothing could ever separate us from his love. Um, you know, that, like you said, you know, uh, how, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That now for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Like those, this is what gets said over and over and over again in the New Testament. And yet, unfortunately, we have allowed a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, a lot of denominational teaching to tell us the opposite, that we are, no, you are a sinner, you're a loser, you're a worm, you'll never be anything other than that. And and the best you can hope for is that God could tolerate you long enough to maybe let you in the door, you know, but only because of Jesus. Uh, but otherwise, without Jesus, man, he just wants to get as far away from you as possible. But that is absolutely not who we are. It's not our identity. Sin does not define us. It's like, this is going to be a real crude illustration, but I was trying to think of something like, what, how, what's an illustration I could use to explain what I'm talking about? And, and this is what I could come up with. Every human being on this planet uh, takes a dump at least a couple times a day. So is everybody you know, just a pooper? Is that who you are? Is that who a humanity is or just a bunch of people who poop? Well, you could make a case, right? You could make a case because come on, is there anyone alive who doesn't? All right, don't we do it several times a day? Then that's your identity, right? No, that's not my freaking I, identity. It's just something that we do, but that's not defining who I am. I, I know somebody who doesn't poop every day, but that's <laughs> well, yeah, okay. If you, if you struggle with constipation, you're going to be offended by this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? About my identity, I yeah, I my identity is not in these certain things that I happen to do. My identity right. is in who who does God say I am, right? My right. my creator has looked at me, and what my creator has said about me is that I am loved. I am his child. 
I'm worth dying for. I'm worth living for. I'm worth everything, right? He created everything uh, and made everything possible so that we could be together for eternity. Like, that's who I am. That's my identity. I'm not a sinner. You know, um, that's good. That's so true. Uh, our identity is, I, 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 I was talking to uh, somebody I was working with um, in my coaching practice a couple of weeks ago. And um, I, we were talking about the power of like, I am statements, you know, and making these I am statements. And I just was like, Hey, look, if you say I am something, it should be true of God. So like, don't say something, don't say you are something unless it's also true of God. Like, so don't say you're a loser unless God's a loser because you're just like him. Oh yeah. 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 At the core of who you are, you're, you're the image and likeness of God. So you have to, you're anything you say, I am, you, you want it to be congruent, consistent with the divine. And and that will only lead to freedom. But I, I there here's a here's a thought I wanted to throw out there because and this has been my experience. And when it comes to sin, and a lot of times people coming from a Christian religious background concept, what happens is that you know obviously there's just a lot of shame with whatever the sin is. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's like there's just a lot of feeling like I'm this. I'm I can't believe I did this. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe I reacted that way or whatever. But I like to help. Like first of all, whether it's myself or somebody else, I like to help people see that at the root of every sin we commit is something good. <laughs> and like I remember, I really believe that. I really believe that every sin that a person commits, no matter how heinous it is, if you dig far enough, it's motivated by something really beautiful. Can you can you unpack just, that? Yeah, yeah. Give us an example. Yeah, yeah. So for for example, let's stick with the porn thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I had a I had a friend of mine uh, a while ago who. I had really struggled, really struggled with porn. Obviously, um, this this person has a real high view of love and a high view of like sex, and felt like the porn that they were engaging in and um, just watching and all that just it just was not congruent. It was not loving. It was not healthy for them. They mean knew that they totally knew that and felt really bad. And so they would say stuff like, "I'm using I am statements. I'm I'm so f- wicked." Obviously, coming from a even strong evangelical background, I'm wicked. I my heart is against God. I I have you know, quote Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. All these kinds of things, and it's like, um, so it's one of those things that I was like, well, why do you think you do this? And he was so quick to say, because I'm 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 a wicked person. I'm filthy. I mean, he said it quickly. Like that's why I do this. And I was like, no, actually, what if the reason you engage in this kind of behavior that you hate is because you're being motivated by something good. It's just a little misplaced. He's like, how could there be anything good in this motivation? I said, well, let's, let's think about it. Why do you do this? Like, what do you, and so without going into the entire conversation, once we connected the dots, it was like a domino theory. So once we got through all the dominoes at the root of it was, he said, I feel so alone sometimes. And for a brief second, it feels like the, the people on the other side of the screen can see me and I can connect with them. And I feel that I'm not alone when I'm engaging in this behavior. I said, wow, think about that for a minute. You have a desire for meaningful human connection and intimacy. I was like, is that bad or good? And this, and that using that language, you know, he's like, that's good. I was like, that's beautiful. I said, that's loving. I was like, you just don't get it from this. That's why it's unhealthy and it's not helping you. I said, but you desire that. So as soon as he could accept and he accepts like, that you're motivated by good, not evil in that sense. You're motivated by love, not anything else. When he could see that and understand that, it just fell off his life. Like it was, it became powerless. Yeah. And that's the key, I think, how you subvert this stuff. You just see, like, hey, we're actually motivated by good. It just so happens that there's a twisting, there's a sense of lack. I lack for him, it was I lack intimacy. And therefore he was 
the, the drive became an unhealthy drive, but we don't actually lack anything. So coming back to like, okay, yeah, you just, it's beautiful to drive. You've been affected by lack, but it's okay. Like we don't yell at little children when they, like, I feel like humanity is, is like a child. If you look at all of humanity as a person, when a child is a baby, they're like, they fall down, they stumble, they, they, they act out, they say mean things, <laughs> they are selfish, all these things, not because they're bad, it's because they're growing in their awareness of who they are. And I think humanity as a whole, we're growing, we're becoming awake, we're, we're evolving consciously. So the things we call sin is just us working these things out, coming into the reality. It's, it's that's just, uh, to my understanding, this is all it is, really. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, Jamal, we are going to do a lot of times. Oh, go for it, Keith. Oh, I was just going to say we 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 have a a plan to do a podcast series coming up on things like pornography, uh, polyamory, premarital sex, LGBTQ. So um, yeah, this will be something we'll, we'll revisit coming up. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, which which will be those will be interesting ones. Um, I I was I what I was going to say is a lot of times when Jamal says something, I kind of recoil and I tw- twist my face up. But Jamal, when you when you explain it, I always kind of start nodding. I don't know, Keith, if you have that, but sometimes Jamal, you oh, yeah. like introduce a topic and I'm like, what the hell is, and then, and then you, you explain <laughs> it and I'm like, okay, I'm tracking with you. No, it happens all the time. No, it happens. <laughs> yeah. It happens to me all the time. Like, okay, so it's not just me. Like, no, no. Like Jamal, Jamal will say something, just like you said, Jamal will say something the first time. And then I'll think, what the <laughs> hell is he talking about? And then, but then by the, like your time, the more I listen to him, when he gets to the end of it, I'm going, well, Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? But it's sort of like the, yeah. that first statement is usually something that kind of makes me go, huh? Uh, but no, I, you know, right. I think we're tracking. I think we're tracking. And I agree. I agree what you said there, Jamal. Like, I think it was beautiful for you to help your friends see that, you know, his, his, his human desire for love and connection with another human being, that's not wrong. That's not evil. Uh, that right. it's, I mean, it's just, it's, he's maybe expressing it in a way that isn't good for him. But, um, but at, at core, mm-hmm. he's, it's not that he's this, you know, evil person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Totally. Yeah. That's why I think it's important to take, it's not to, when we, because I, I feel like someone's going to say, or some folks are going to listen to this and say, okay, you're taking the onus off individuals making choices. And, and I don't think it, that's not what we're saying. It's just a better way to talk of sin, to remove it from the individual, which if we're, are you ready for your shot? I'm going to mention mimetic theory. If, if we're not individuals, but we're interdividuals, it makes more sense to talk about sin as something overarching, like Paul would talk about it, not individual sins. It's it's this thing that's over and above us. But like Jamal, you say, and, and, and I agree with you, it's not real in the terms of what we really are. Yeah. Yes, totally. Totally. It is. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I guess that's we're gonna play it. We're gonna play it off with that. Oh, uh, I think. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I, I do think we have. Correct me if I'm wrong, but our hotline is open. It is open, and operators. Uh, yep. Yeah, all day. Standing by. Yeah. If you yeah, if you if you see any heresy, please call us and report it right away. Right away. Yes. Call call your representative. Yes. And uh, Patreon. We have a Patreon page. Yes. We, so support us on Patreon. Too.